hurricane. And each week during Lent in this series, we've been reminded that again and again, suffering and brokenness is part of life. That we doubt again, that we lament again, that we mess up again. And every time lives are taken unjustly, every time the powerful choose corruption and violence, every time individuals forget how to love, um, the story of Jesus on the cross repeats again and again. And so many times this happens, we just kind of find ourselves crying out, how long will this continue? Thankfully, we've also been reminded that in the midst of what often feels like constant chaos of life, that God offers each of us this sacred refrain, saying over and over, again and again, I choose you, I love you, I'm with you, I am for you. And I don't know about you, but I've needed to be reminded of that this Lenten season. And so hopefully, in the midst of whatever's going on for you, that's been an encouraging word. You see, this Lenten season is the idea of springtime. We talk about that, that the word Lent literally means springtime. And so you think about it as the process of the growth of flowers. There's that part where the seeds are cold and dark and buried in the ground, and in many ways, alone. And they're being challenged by the elements like rain and snow. But ultimately, that process leads to growth, transformation, and new life bursting out of the ground, drawn out by the sun, so that we can see the beauty of spring. And if you've been out in the last couple days, especially with the sunshine, you're starting to see little signs of that. Without the process of what happens below the ground, though, all the hard work that the seeds go through, if that doesn't happen, the new life of the flowers will never happen. Just like my slides not cooperating with me right now. Serenity now. There we go. We've said this every week, pretty much during the entire Lenten season, but that is that Lent is meant to be the church's springtime a time when out of sin's darkness or the darkness of sin's winter, a repentant, empowered people emerges. And that that's our hope, that as we continue in this Lenten season, we are engaging both the realities of sin and death around us in our life and in our world, but we're also remembering the faithful presence of God with us and for us in the midst of whatever's going on. And so today, we are looking at this idea of how again and again, God is reforming us, transforming us. And so before we begin, let me open our time with prayer, and then we're going to start with a clip. But let's pray first. Father, Son, Spirit, we thank you for your goodness and your grace. We thank, thank you for your faithful presence. That in this season, which at times has definitely felt dark, it's felt like winter. It's felt like struggle. It's even at times felt like death. We thank you that there is something powerful that happens in that time. And that there's a process that you have us going through. And that new life comes out of that. And so this morning, God, as we think about how you might be reforming us, help us to engage with you, Holy Spirit, and hear from you that you might be given the glory. We pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Sit back and enjoy a clip just to get us started. If it works. 
the learner. Now I am the master. Only a master of evil, does. ending i thought about do i actually need to preview this movie do i need to give you any setup and i decided no if you don't know anything about this movie there's a whole other conversation that needs to happen and we're not going to have time for but i showed this clip because it speaks to this idea that we're talking about today this idea of being reformed and how it happens in ways we don't expect in particular how self-sacrifice and death can bring about new life. And to get at this idea, we're going to look at John chapter 12, verses 20 through 33. So if you have your Bibles, you could go ahead and go there and turn there. If you don't, um, you can use our Bible app if you're online, or you can simply follow along on the screen as the passage is read. But before we do, as you listen to this text being read, I want to invite you to do so as if you've never heard this story before. And I'm not telling you what the story is yet, but as you listen, I want you to maybe close your eyes, whatever you need to do, but try to pay attention to things that stand out to you, that make you curious, but especially pay attention to those areas that you are familiar with and find yourself curious in those places as well. Because oftentimes what happens when we hear something we think we know that we think we've heard before, we don't pay attention. We don't hear it in a new way. So I'm inviting you to close your eyes, however you want to listen, but pay attention to those areas that are curious to you. And again, this is John chapter 12, verses 20 through 33, and my friend Juan is going to read that for us. John 12, 20 through 33. There were some Greeks in town who had come up to worship at the feast. They approached Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee. Sir, we want to see Jesus. Can you help us? Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went together and told Jesus. Jesus answered, time's up. 
The time has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Listen carefully. Unless a grain of wheat is buried in the ground, dead to the world, it is never any more than a grain of wheat. But if it is buried, it sprouts and reproduces itself many times over. In the same way, anyone who holds on to life just as it is destroys that life. But if you let it go, reckless in your love, you will have it forever, real and eternal. If any of you wants to serve me, then follow me. Then you'll be where I am, ready to serve at a moment's notice. The Father will honor and reward anyone who serves me. Right now I'm shaken, and what am I going to say? Father, get me out of this? No, this is why I came in the first place. I'll say, Father, put your glory on display. A voice came out of the sky. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The listening crowd said, Thunder. Others said, An angel spoke to him. Jesus said, The voice didn't come for me, but for you. At this moment, the world is in crisis. Now Satan, the ruler of this world, will be thrown out, and I, as I am lifted up from the earth, will attract everyone to me and gather them around me. He put it this way to show how he was going to be put to death. Awesome. Thank you. As I looked at and studied and prayed about and contemplated this text, I realized it has a lot to say for us today in the midst of what's been this pandemic, social unrest, political divisions, fear of global war, and all kinds of anxiety that's underlying kind of everything with this sense of what's next. Our text is about change. It's about death, new life, and transformation and how it relates to the examples lived out in Jesus himself. And it finds Jesus six days before he's going to die. Now think about it. How would you feel if you knew you were going to die in six days? You'd probably be a little preoccupied with the idea of death and dying. And to add to it, just a bit before this, Jesus had raised someone from the dead as well. So Jesus is thinking about and contemplating death because it's only six days until it's going to happen for him. The story takes place in the city of Jerusalem, and it's the Passover. And literally hundreds of thousands of people are gathering in Jerusalem. Now imagine hundreds of thousands of people crammed into downtown Seattle. They're jammed into Pike Place Market, into Pioneer Square. It's overflowing into the Seattle Center. Tons of people coming into Seattle from everywhere. That's the way Passover was, with people from all over the world crammed into the city walls of Jerusalem. And it's in this wild mass where there's these couple Greeks. They're in the crowd, and they come up to the disciples and want to talk with Jesus. And these Greek travelers come up and listen to one of the conversations the disciples were having. And they heard that one of the disciples in particular had a Greek accent. It was Philip, because he's from Bethsaida, which is a Greek-speaking city in Israel. And so the Greek travelers probably thought, this guy speaks Greek. He must be one of us. So they approach Philip and ask him in Greek, we want to see Jesus. Can we see Jesus? And it's a very common question in the Bible, especially in the Gospel of John. And so Philip went to Andrew, and the two of them go to Jesus and say, hey, there's these two Greeks. 
They want to see you. Now, you think that Jesus would have answered them directly, but he didn't. Jesus is distracted. He's preoccupied with his death in six days. And so what does he say? He says, listen carefully. Unless a grain of wheat is buried in the ground, dead to the world, it is never any more than a grain of wheat. But if it's buried, it sprouts and reproduces itself many times over. In the same way, anyone holds on to life just as it is, destroys that life. But if you let it go, reckless in your love, you'll have it forever, real and internal. If any of you wants to serve me, then follow me. Now, kind of a weird response, right? Like you're you're trying to meet Jesus for the time, you just want to see him, and all of a sudden he throws out all this Greek or this, this language about grains and just like who knows what it is. And the Greeks wanted to do was just to see Jesus. But Jesus is preoccupied with death, and it makes sense why he would be. And so the question is, what's the connection with seeing Jesus and this conversation? What is Jesus trying to say? He's saying that if you want to see Jesus, you need to see the importance of dying in order to truly live. If you really want to see Jesus, you need to see my example. And my example is going to point to this reality that you have to die in order to truly live. And I, I don't know about you, but I love how Jesus uses vivid language that we can understand. If a seed is planted in the ground and it does not die, it remains a seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds and seedlings, and those seeds and their seedlings produce much fruit. And it all begins with the seed dying. And so everyone, including us, says, could it be really that the key to life is death? Could it be that the key to living is dying? Or the fact that the act of dying is an important part to really living life? Jesus says, unless a seed dies, it remains a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds and much fruit. In other words, death is necessary for true life. We're having baptism today. It's an example. It's a visual of death into life. We take communion every week. We remember something about the power of death and how it relates to truly living. Think of the cross There's something powerful in death that leads to life. And Jesus is showing us a fundamental law of life that again and again goes against the ways of the world. St. Francis of Assisi knew this law when he wrote in his famous prayer for peace, it is in giving that we receive, it is in dying that we are born again. And the Apostle Paul knew this law when he said this in Romans 6, 5, For if we have been united with him in death, like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. So Jesus is telling us about a spiritual principle that's at work in this world. It's the only thing that we can understand, and it is that it's only in dying that a person begins to truly live. It's only when we are united with Christ in a death like his that we are united with him in a resurrection like his. But what does that mean? Does it mean if you're 
dying hasn't been good this past week, then neither has your living? Or does it mean if you haven't been dying this past week, you haven't been living? What does it mean? What does it mean to die? When the Bible, Jesus talks about dying to self. It means dying to selfishness. It means dying to the big I, the attitude that I am living for me. That the purpose of my life is self-fulfillment and me experiencing all that life can give me, right? Life is preoccupied with me, my happiness. I'm preoccupied with myself, my successes, my failures, what other people are thinking about me, that I'm in the center of the universe. This is the way our world is all about. This is how our world lives. But when life revolves around us, each individually, me, when it revolves around me, I'm not really living. Jesus says it's only when that self-centeredness finally begins to die that I finally begin to live. And not only is self-centeredness the main operating system of our culture that we're all saturated with, death in our day is not something people want to think about either. And if we do, we rarely think of it as a positive thing, let alone in terms of being transformational. In fact, we typically try to do everything in our power to help things not die, right? Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34 says this. The day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. This covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt. They broke that covenant. Though I love them as a husband loves his wife, says the Lord. But this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my instructions deep within them, and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. And they will not need uh, to teach their neighbors, nor will they need to teach their relatives, saying, you should know the Lord. For everyone from the least to the greatest will know me already says the Lord, and I will forgive their wickedness and I will never again remember their sins. Now this is Jeremiah and Jeremiah is speaking to Jewish people who are in the midst of being seized. They're scared their city will be taken by their enemies and neither they nor their family members will survive. The future is filled with fear and anxiety and a huge unknown of what will become of all of them. It sounds a lot like what's going on in the Ukraine right now. And it's in these times, much like the past two years for us with a pandemic and fear of people dying and political upheaval and racial battles and now possible wars, that we long for things to change. I love how Dr. James Howell, professor of preaching at Duke Divinity speaks about this text from Jeremiah. He says this, Jeremiah's new covenant seems crucial right now because so many want to go back. Whether it's where we were politically or as a country, or we want to go to church, we want the church to go back. But God is calling us right now to go forward into something new. God is calling us to go forward into something new. And I think part of what the, um, Dr. Howell is suggesting is that when we look back at the way things were, 
we tend to do so in a way that makes things out like they were better than they actually were. We look back at the ways things used to be like they were the glory days and we long to go back to that time. Yet we rarely notice how things in the past are what led us to where we are in our present moment. Because let's be honest, there's always been political challenges, obstacles in our country with regards to struggles with race and equity. We've had plenty of wars in our history. And for the last 50 years, the church as a whole, especially in the United States, it's been in the midst of a steady decline. And we do this with whenever something or someone dies as well, right? We, we have a hard time speaking the truth about it. So think about funerals. Nowadays, we don't even call them funerals. We call them memorial services. Or better yet, we call them celebration of life services. And the stories we share at these are always the best stories. We memorialize people by remembering the good things about them, which don't get me wrong, like I, I get it, right? But it's not the full story. It's not the true picture of who that person was. I don't know about you, but I often think about what it was like growing up in this area and how different it was when I was a kid. And I'll often tell my kids stories about it and, it, and, and I find myself sometimes making it out like everything was just like incredible, right? Was it though? No. It wasn't all bad, but it definitely wasn't all good. Um, but that's the story. I tell the best stories. But didn't the past lead us to where we are now? You see, when we make the effort to remember things like they really were, like they really are, it's then when we are able to see the change that's actually needed to happen. We see the areas where things just aren't working, that we need something different to happen. And one of the reasons we follow the church calendar is because Lent reminds us again and again in our need for God that we can't do this life on our own, that we need community, not isolation. Lent helps us confess that the ways of the world and the systems we've gotten caught up in aren't working and haven't been working. And Lent reminds us that the relationship between life and death and what it looks like to be transformed and to flourish into new life in Christ. That's what Lent helps us remember. And without these reminders, we get caught up in the world. We continue to keep things alive that really need to die. And we avoid change because change is really hard. And ultimately, change requires something to die in order for something new to come about. And in many ways, I think that's what's been happening with the church as a whole and even us as followers of Jesus for years. In the book, Unfinished Business, there's a quote that I love. It says this, where there is no faith in the future, there's no power in the present. Where there's no faith in the future, there's no power in the present. You see, when we get stuck in our ways or stuck longing for the past, we lose faith in the future, because we're not thinking about where we want to go. We want to go back. And as a result, it feels as if there's no power in the present moment. I don't know about you, but I have felt this way often, especially over the last two years. 
you feel stuck. But as we've said, Lent is meant to be the church's springtime, a time when out of the darkness of sin's winter, a repentant, empowered people emerges. Lent is a season to remind us that we are to be reformed again and again, that there's a purpose for death and the darkness of sin's winter, and that the hard work a seed goes through underground in order for new life and resurrection to emerge. That's the purpose. But we avoid it. Our culture doesn't want to change. We don't want to look back and, and name everything for what it is. We don't want to, to see the things that need to change and actually make the change. And even if we do, we pretty much just want to post it on social media, but we don't actually want to do the work. And I believe we're at a point of transition as a church and as disciples of Jesus. The COVID especially has done a number on us. I said this a couple weeks ago when I talked about God showing us the way and the story of Jesus turning over tables, but I think there are things about the church and about how we are as disciples of Jesus that need to change. Not everything, and sometimes those things need to change not because they're bad, they just need to change. And I'd even go as far to say that there may be things that need to die in order for a new covenant of Christ to flourish in each of us and in the church in new ways. And if all we keep doing is thinking about how things used to be and how I got to get back to the way things used to be, we're going to miss the exciting things that God is wanting to lead us into. And so then the question is, will we continue to accept the new covenant and the new opportunities for ministry? Because to do so will mean in certain ways dying to what was and embracing what is new, embracing what God is currently doing, not what God was doing, and embracing what God is dreaming for our future and our hope and our new life as Jesus followers and as the church. And it will mean letting go or not holding on to the past. I really struggled with this conversation, this teaching today, because it's really easy to talk about, but again, am I doing it? And, and, and I don't have all the answers to what the changes are. I can't say that for each and every one of you. I can't say that for our church specifically yet. Um, but I think we have important decisions to make as we look into the future. But what I do believe is that uh, our future is brimming with new opportunities. And I actually believe it's overflowing with new hope. And I think it's spilling over with the presence of God, wanting to lead us to be filled and renewed and reformed and transformed into what God has created us to be individually as followers of Christ and corporately as One Life Community Church. And as we will sing in just a little bit, I believe God is about making beautiful things. But those things come out of the work that death requires. And so may we be fearless enough to embrace the change, knowing that God will be with us and for us, guiding us each step of the way. Amen? I'm going to invite our worship team to come forward, and with it I have a couple questions for you. Um, the band's going to play instrumentally for a bit to allow us space to ponder. Because again, what we've talked about is very contrary to the way we typically think. Um, 
And I want you to have space to think about it. So they're going to play, let you have some space to do so. I have a couple questions for you. And um, I would love for you to use the connection card. So if you're in this place, you might be sitting on it. Use that connection card. I would love for you to use it. If you're online, please use the link on the online platform. Um, it looks like a lot of questions, but they're mostly related to each other. And even if you just answer one, that would be great. But I want you to think about when it comes to the church, you could take that in a general term, the church in general, or this specific church. When it comes to the church and your relationship with God, because I want you to be thinking about you as a follower of Christ. When it comes to these things, question number one, what are you waiting for? And what are you hoping for right now and why? What are you waiting for? And what are you hoping for right now and why? There's nothing like a pandemic to make us stop and think and we're stuck, and we have to wait. What is it you're waiting for? I know for me this Sunday, having the opportunity for people to come and not have to wear a mask is something I've been waiting for for a long time. And yet I don't still feel like that's how it is for everyone. And I love that we have people here that feel that way and others that not, and we can still come and worship. What are you waiting for and why as a church? and as a follower of Jesus. Now, when you think about whatever it is you're waiting for and why, I want you to think about, is what you're waiting for rooted in the past or the future? Are you thinking about how you are waiting for things to go back to the way things were? Or are you waiting for something that's new in the future, that's unknown, that you may have to put your trust in God to lead you to because you don't know what it looks like? And I want you to be honest. It's really easy for us to think about the past and long for it to be the way it was. So what is it you're waiting for and why? And is it rooted in the past or the future? Also with that, are they motivated, the things you're looking for and hoping for and waiting for, are they motivated, motivated by the ways of the world or the ways of the Spirit? Are they self-directed, self-things? Are they things for you or are they opportunities the Spirit is leading you into? Is the Spirit inviting you into something new? To rely on the Spirit and not on yourself. To be transformed for the glory of God, not for your own glory. Question number four, where do you see God moving and doing something new in the midst of your waiting? Have you even been looking? Where do you see God moving and doing something new in the midst of our waiting? And I'm going to give a plug for the neighborhood prayer walk next Sunday before church. It's a great, simple way to join with others and to pray and just to open our eyes and look around and ask the Spirit to show us where the Spirit is at work in and around us, in our community, in this neighborhood. Last question. What might need to die in you in order for God to bring about new ministry? I can't tell you how often people tell me how busy they are. I say it. Um, is that how you should be? And is there certain things that you're doing right now that maybe need to stop because God has something new for you? Um, so 
Feel free to use the space to pray, to confess, to own, to give thanks, to receive, to be filled, to dream, whatever you feel called to in this time. I really would love to hear from as many of you as possible by using that connection card, whether it's here or online. I want to note that our prayer team is back here. They're going to come join us. And if you're online, the prayer app will be live. And all you have to do is hit the request prayer button on the left of our chat line as they would love to pray with and for you in the order it's received. And just be aware if you're online, there may be someone they're praying with in person and vice versa. So just be patient, um, but they'd love to pray for you. But um, use this time to reflect, to think, and to pray, and to share some responses. And I'm going to close our time with prayer, and then Brian will lead us in one last song of response. Let's pray. Father, Son, Spirit, as we have worshipped you this morning, we worship a person who fully died the most brutal kind of death. And in our story today, you knew what was coming six days in advance, and you're feeling it. Your story even says you're feeling like, do I, do I talk to God and ask this to change? Like you're, you're wrestling with it. And yet you, you continue to move into it because you know something new is coming, that there's power in that death, that resurrection is what comes. New life. In this Lenten season, we've been praying that your people would emerge as empowered by your spirit. And so God, right now, as we're still in this Lenten season, we ask that you continue to help us do the hard work. Whether that's the work of dying or being buried or saying no to things or letting things die in order for this new thing to come about. And we pray about this, not just for us individually, but also for the church, God. We want to move into this new season led by you, not led by us. Led by your spirit, not our individual opinions. And that's hard. And so, God, I just uh, thank you that we could all be together. I thank you that we could worship together and be reminded of the goodness of community and the diversity of community and the way you work in and through each of us. And we pray that you would continue to lead us and give us vision and give us um, hearts that align with your hearts, that you would be glorified, and that our community be, would be reached for you. We pray this all in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.